This is an episode of the Politics Show for UPSU Radio, recorded on the 14th of June, 2012. For more information about the Politics Show or to listen again, please go to www.thepoliticsshow.com. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Turner. And joining me in the studio today is Ben Nutt, an IR researcher at Plymouth University. And down the line in Poland is Bartosz Ruszkiewicz, a politics lecturer also at Plymouth University. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Um, so, covered in today's show, we will be looking at a divorce between church and state. The Church of England threatens to split from the state for the first time in 500 years. We'll be looking at Nick Clegg the Calamity. As the coalition crumbles, Nick Clegg's reputation comes under the spotlight. Has the Deputy Prime Minister achieved anything? And what's the future hold for arguably the most successful leader of the Liberal Democrats? And finally, we'll be looking in our international focus this week at Poland and Ukraine, the European Football Championship hosts. But before all that, uh, let's look at the papers, shall we? Uh, Ben, what have you got today? Well, I've got the sun and a headline in the sun is concentrating uh, primarily on Wayne Rooney's new haircut. He's got a an Elvis-style quiff, which pretty, mu- pretty much sums up the news at the minute. It's very yeah. football-focused. But um, on page 12, we bring in the 30th anniversary of the liberation of the Falkland Islands. OK, yes, yeah, so a lot of the papers are, are running stories about the... Um, um, it's, it's, it's 30 years since the victory of the yeah. Falkland Islands, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've got the mirror here, uh, and uh, front page on the mirror reads, Banned from Kids' Funeral. That is uh, Mick and Mary Pilpot um, have been ordered to stay away from the funeral of uh, the six kids they are accused of killing. Uh, also, we've got Wayne Rooney's haircut, which features <laughs> there. It does look kind of terrible, really. <laughs> uh, and um, the usual kind of royal pics as well. But I've also got um, the Torograph. Uh, uh, the Telegraph today um, reads, Get a job. Ian Duncan Smith um, tells parents on the dole um, that they've got to be working 35 hours a week. I didn't say where they're going to be getting these jobs from, but he is ordering them to do so. Um, and um, there is a kind of furore at the moment about criminal um, tagging. Um, also, uh, there are about 35,000, uh, no, sorry, 64,000 offenders uh, who are currently been tagged, and they reckon about th- about 50%, about 35,000 of them um, are are fleeting um, yeah. that um, that tagging system as well. Uh, po- um, uh, Bartosz, you're in Poland at the moment. Have you got any news from the Polish press? Since we're at the moment dealing with uh, with the Euros, it's uh, important to look at the most important information related to the Euros, and I probably. This is on on all of the in all of the newspapers on every front cover is either discussion of who is going to be the next Polish I mean the Polish goalkeeper on Saturday okay uh, whether it's going to be uh, the red carded um, Szczęsne or whether it's going to be Titon who was playing a great game both yeah, sure Russia. it's got to be Titon because he's played so well so far hasn't he yeah uh, Franciszek Smuda I think they say Polish coach prefers to take um, Szczęsne but. I'm, I'm definitely going to leave it to him. I'll tell you what, they're claiming here that it is the most important thing that, that we have to discuss. And I, I don't really care. I think they've done both well. But um, <laughs> I think the Polish media goes through, a couple of newspapers go through how the uh, war fights between the fans, the hooligans, destroyed the reputation of the Euros. 
and um, how they are presented outside of Poland, and that's that's quite of uh, quite of an interesting subject. Yeah. Uh, also, few politicians are proposing <clears throat> what to do with these hooligans. Uh, one of them proposed that uh, they should be given a possibility to return to society what they've destroyed. So they should go uh, to places like even graveyards and monuments and clean them, sort of perform, perform certain chores yeah. that will not be highly publicized, you know, that they will not become celebrities or anything. You yeah, know? yeah. I think you know, there's been mooted points about getting kind of minor criminals to do similar things over here, isn't there, as well? It's kind of interesting. Maybe that's a pan-European thing. Um, anyway, I suppose we've got to move on from the papers today. Uh, and let's move on to our first topic, which is, well, the Church of England. They are kicking up a stink about the coalition's plans to introduce same-sex marriage by 2015, aren't they? They are. Do, do you want to take this, Ben? Um, yeah, I'll try. Um, yeah. The Telegraph led, led a story on the 12th of June, uh, as did the Daily Mail, um, which said that same-sex marriage would want to be one of the biggest threats to the established role of the Church of England since the reign of Henry VIII. Um, so they're linking it to the Reformation. Um, yeah. And it would be a splitting of the Church from the state. Um, so why is this coming about now? It's probably because we're getting a little bit of um, kind of Euro crisis fatigue maybe as well, someone trying to break something different. Yeah. But, but um, there have been many well, high-ranking figures in the Church of England who have come out against the coalition's plans to do this. Yeah. Um, why is the church so against reform? That might sound like a bit of a silly question, but ultimately, what is the major problem with it? Um, well, from the Church of England's actual website, um, their official position is that it's committed to continuing the traditional understanding of the institution of marriage as being between one man and one woman. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what we can gather, we, we had a discussion earlier on, and it's quite a confusing story, but what we can gather is that the church is unhappy with the government getting involved in what I would consider, and what we said we considered as yeah. fundamentals of religion. So it sort of begs the question of um, how much the, the relation, well first, the relationship between government and church, or state and church, which, because we're not exactly a secular no but i will come on to that point in a minute but as a as a kind of club as a church in england kind of being uh, a club that kind of offers let's say marriage in a sense this kind of union um why are they so against homosexuals being able to do so it's not as if they're exactly the most popular um uh, you know group I in society at the moment i mean but, uh, but could you imagine the uh, the church doing a, a similar thing in poland uh uh, no, I I could not imagine that. I don't think the church would ever agree to this because it would lose a lot of the following of the right uh, side of the uh, spectrum, political spectrum. But I think even in England, why is it such a difficult subject to discuss in Britain? Why is it so, such a different, diff difficult subject to discuss? Is because of the certain degree of traditionalism related to it. Um, yeah. The church is very reluctant to continue, I mean, to uh, change its ways because it's going to lose many of the followers if it if it goes this way. I, I, but but the church that, the church uh, has been losing followers for we could we could say uh, decades. Yeah. Uh, and so why would it not essentially let this group of people in? There are still these 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 hardliners within the church structures. These are not this is not the most vibrant of the of all the groups that are out there. No. This is this. The group that that's you know they 
um, do not have this many opportunities to uh, go out there and say, look, we're going to allow this, allow this, and allow that in mm. order to you know, become more popular to the rest of the society. I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. In Poland, definitely not. No, no, not for now. No. Well, so but, one of the anti-clerical groups is now in the parliament, so that is, is a sign of, of modern times in Poland. But ultimately, Ben, the, the government decides in this country. The government, yeah. um, I mean, the, the Queen's head of, head of state and she's head, head of, of the Church. Church of England. Yeah, so, so the, the government have the final say, but it, it, it begs the question, to what extent will the, the Church of England change the fundament, their fundamental beliefs to get people back into church because ultimately marriage uh, it, w- it won't change anything uh, in terms of what powers they have what no, kind no, of no, rights no. they have the, because the... marriage is is not the solely you know, it, within the church of england it's not the solely recognized you know partnership between them it's civil no. partnerships give people exactly the same rights as, yeah. as marriage yeah the marriage is more the ceremonial side yeah. of it uh rather than the legal side of it and um from what we can gather that sort of what homosexual people are looking for is that sort of ceremonial side of it this begs the question doesn't it why does the homosexual community yeah. then want to associate itself with effectively an institution which for the last two millennia has uh, vindicated it yeah it, it, it's just bizarre you know that this is a this is an, an institution that doesn't accept their not not their beliefs but it doesn't accept their way of living their life yet they're pressing to be allowed marriage yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, one of the important issues why uh, the gay communities would like to become part of this is very much related to the fact that they want um, to be recognized not only by uh, the secular structures but also by by the church itself I think uh, it's it's important to be accepted by uh, every single like group within the society mm-hmm. and church is still even though it's not playing such a major role it's still playing a significant role within the life of the state yeah um, especially in um, the upper extremes of, of government you tend to get some quite religious people I mean if we look at Tony Blair was he- heavily religious not necessarily from the same no uh, Tony Blair was Catholic but obviously yeah. he didn't kind of yeah, yeah but uh, it, if you look at uh, even the likes of Cameron and that have always been brought up with a probably a more religious background than your average. Is it, is it kind of just about fitting in with society? It, it's not. It can't just be about the pomp and glamour, the actual, no. se- you know, the actual um, ceremony itself. It is the desire. It's got to be it, something else. It's got to be about level picking because, in reality, the European Court of Human Rights well, uh, uh, are unlikely to agree with the government on this. Aren't yeah, they? no, they're unlike they're position is that it is unlikely that they'll force the church or any religious institution to abide by uh, legislation that fundamentally goes against mm. their uh, ethos as we should we should put it um, it's a really bizarre story. so ultimately who's going to yes Bart sorry Karen no I, I think that we may simply say that because we're saying that the church has sort of disappeared from our lives and it's both 
here in Poland, and it is in in Britain as well, that it's not as important as it used to be. But, yeah, but that, doesn't, that doesn't prevent, that doesn't yes. mean that people still don't want to um, get married in a church, but I think what the, the, the issue is here is that I think um, uh, homo, the homosexual community want to be able to um, be, have access to the same ceremonial procedures as it, the as the this is, is it more this is the point this is the point i was trying to make because i already said it before that it's important to be accepted by all these groups mm. and this has to change eventually because if the church wants to remain in the position it is and gain more following it has to include other groups not only cut itself off from the thing would it would it be fair to say that uh, of the, the three major branches of Christianity, Protestantism would probably be the, the most liberal and probably the, would primarily be the first that you'd expect yeah. to yeah. accept. Well, uh, Henry VIII yeah. changed it for a it, specific it reason. Yeah. Uh, um, but, but ultimately, um, this fundamentally goes against kind of text. In the, I mean, whether you're religious yeah. or you're not religious... Yeah. Um, what this signifies to us is that Britons don't really get how tied in with the Christi- with Christianity the state is. Yeah. We don't live in a secular state, do we? No. And you know, this tells us that the public attitude is one of apathy. They have no idea. We yeah. sing the national anthem on the football pitch, uh, you know, God save the Queen, etc. But we don't really understand what that means. Is that every one of us is kind of you know. Um, decided to sign up to you know a kind of way of life whereby religion is, is part of that, yep. and marriage is recognised as well. Um, just quick comparison with Poland, but is the national anthem uh, of Poland uh, is that kind of religious in any way? Uh, yes and no. We um, it's a very difficult thing to respond to because uh, anthem doesn't go. Today, it doesn't talk about God. However, it's very much related to uh, religion itself, due to the fact that the way when it was when it was uh, written mm. and how it approaches patriotism in Poland. Well, it, well, but the, pre- the previous anthem that was changed, um, um, say 50 years ago, 60 years ago, this was a very uh, religious anthem. Well, well, it, it was, it, it's interesting yeah. because I mean, uh, from the outside people would probably say that Poland was far more religious than yep. than the United Kingdom. Um, what role does the church have in Polish politics? In terms of, in terms of, is your head of state... In terms of, okay then... It, You've is, got is, 30 is, seconds. Is, is the Polish head of state also the head of church? No. No. So, so it's, it's a secular society then? Uh, officially? Yeah, so effectively the church can do what it likes then. Yeah. Technically we are a secular society, but then we're not. Yeah. The church So so has... so officially Poland is a secular society but not and yeah. officially the UK isn't a secular society but would appear No. Okay, that very, it is a secular very quickly. Society. We've got to we've got to try and wrap this up. But um what does what will it mean if the church decides to separate, okay, uh, or divorce, excuse the pun, um <laughs> from um from the state, in that sense, I mean they don't necessarily have a monopoly over the um, effective over effective rights of you know, civil partnerships, for instance, are for everyone. But however, um, what will it mean? Does it mean that we will kind of go cap in hand back to the Pope and ask? <laughs> if, if, you know, um, ask... Does it mean 
matter if you separate from the state? I, I don't think it does, but I mean, ultimately, uh, what does that mean to the, the whole process? Well, the, you know, to, to, I don't think, to Joe Public, I don't think that much will change. Mm. Um, but, I mean, to the, to the fundamentals of the British political system, it would be quite an extensive change yeah. um, in terms of what would then happen? Would the, church, would the Queen still remain head of the Church of England? I think it's one of these things that are, is quite often swept, swept under the carpet in Britain. And, and actually, when this comes out a little bit more and we debate about it, people tend to realise actually we didn't realise how much we're tied in, yeah. A, to the Queen as head of state, but also B, it, the, it, the role of the Church. And it would, it, would, it would need a complete reconfiguration of the British political system. Yeah. So... I only have a question because, uh, as far as I Let's know make from it quick. Uh, my yeah. historical research, does it mean that the Queen is not a legitimate leader anymore because of the fact that her power is given to her by God? Well, um, <laughs> I think we're going to have to leave yeah. it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, that'll be for another time. Maybe we can do a special show on that as well. Yeah. But um, <laughs> if you have any comments about um, the role of the church uh, and, and, and whether it should be so intertwined with the state, um, leave us your feedback. Uh, go to www.thepoliticshow.com. That's Polly with a Y. Uh, and click on shows and you'll find this there and you can kind of leave us some feedback or email us at the politics show again Polly with a y at gmail.com all right but let's move on to our next topic of today which is well i called it nick clegg the calamity but uh, it's a bit <laughs> harsh but um maybe fair i don't know um so we all remember the the rose garden loving that's what it was called in may 2010 um after the 2010 elections um for the first time ever in peacetime uh, britain decided that um two parties were going to share government. They weren't able to do it on... Anyone was unable to do it on their own. And it was unusual scenes. We didn't really know what to do those two. It was the first time, really, that we saw two politicians. Um, I think it was, it, was, it was strange that they got on... They appeared to get on so looked, well as well. They looked the same, didn't yeah, they? They, they, were kind of, yeah, they, they? They were joking with each other, whereas it, it, if push had come to shove and we'd have needed a coalition between Labour yeah. and the Conservatives for whatever reason joining back to the grand coalition of germany yeah um you can't imagine gordon brown and david cameron of having the same cozy relationship as yeah. what nick clegg and david cameron appeared i have. think obviously there was the apprehension of something something new and we're not sure how it's going to pan out and there's an economic crisis going on and you know and we're not sure whether or not people are going to be able to effectively deal with it but ultimately things for clegg in 2010, looks kind of bright, didn't they? Yeah. Um, he just had that little Clegg bounce in the polls. Um, I agree with Nick. Um, moments in the TV debates, uh, uh, which ultimately didn't ended up being, the election. Yeah, <laughs> didn't, he ended up losing five seats actually, instead of kind of ca- capitalising on that. But um, but uh, cephalogy aside, they managed to bar this deal with the Conservatives, which ultimately we could say technically makes Nick Clegg the most successful Liberal Democrat leader. Ever. The first Liberal Democrat leader and the first Deputy Liberal Prime Minister. Deputy Prime Minister, the first Liberal Liberal leader for almost a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but the, then then it begs the question of how do you rate how do you rate electoral support and yeah. how do you rate success? So, yeah. Uh, Bartosz, uh, coalitions are commonplace in Poland, aren't they? Um, so what do Europeans think about, well, Britain kind of... Our cack-handed uh, effort. First, first ride of the bike, if you like. <laughs> to, be, 
to be perfectly honest, we don't think about Britain that much. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but but when it comes to uh, coalitions, yes, that's right. They're nothing special over here. They happen all across Europe, and it's it's generally expected. It's just discussed beforehand which party they will have a coalition with, rather than whether they're going to have a coalition. Yeah, yeah. So the, so in many ways, in many ways, it's kind of uh, expected. The voters uh, don't feel as if they are disenfranchised when the bartering begins after the election because they kind of have an expectation that so and so party might incline towards another i think i think only uh, the united russia party and in russia doesn't have to worry about coalition yeah okay well we won't we won't worry about them for today but where did it go wrong ben um it looks so positive to begin with i mean we can't hardly say the same today two years no, in. no no well i think the the turning point the, or the initial, the catalyst, we'll call it. The yeah. catalyst to the problem was tuition fees. Right, sort topic for any student yeah, listeners. The, the Liberal Democrats ran an election manifesto, um, which many of them would disagree with what I'm going to say now, but to Joe Public, it appeared they were planning on stopping. Well, it didn't or, It didn't appear. They all signed a document. Yes, this is the one said, thing you do in politics. If you're really sure about something, you don't have your photograph taken with you signing a document. Yeah, pledging which says, we get, are not going to, to raise tuition yeah. fees. I didn't say they... I don't think they said that they'd necessarily initially... I think there's some... Bit, some, some actually said they were going to abolish it as well. But, the, but that's by the by. The point, yeah. the point is here is that there was a clear backtrack once they got <laughs> into government on the top-up fee issue. Yeah. yeah. Now, um... Most of the other parties had different ideas about where, where top-up fees should go and you know, who should pay for what, etc. But there, it, it's probably one of the biggest backtracks in history. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's is this going to be something which is going to spur a generation of plague haters? Yeah. Much like yeah. kind of how how divisive Thatcher was, for instance, in yeah. the eighties. Um, and I think I think the other argument was from a lot of those who sat sort of centre-left on the mm. political spectrum would say that of, of the three options of a coalition that could have occurred, a many thought a liberal conservative coalition was unlikely. There, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was always seen as... There was talk of another it, kind of rainbow coalition yeah, and as it well. Was always was seen, it was always seen as, if you were planning on insincerely voting or tactically voting against... The Conservatives. It was always seen as as, as if the Liberal Democrats were closer ideologically yeah. to Labour than they would yeah. have been to the Conservatives. And, 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 and speaking to a lot of people who who openly admit that they tactically voted through ninety seven through to two thousand and ten, mm. and they've said, "Well, we never thought that the Liberals would join with the Conservatives, but now they have. Yeah. They've sort of changed their tactic, and, and they probably won't tactically." And vote of course, now. So being in government. Them, lose seats maybe yeah and least. of course being in or government votes, they they also um come under the spotlight the scrutiny of the media yeah. to the same extent as previous um parties have as well and, and they we were in a lose-lose situation really because if the government had been successful then the tories would have picked up major yeah. seat uh, major benefits of it the more benefits than the liberals and they've not been so successful so they're seen in the same light. Is it so. kind of politically naive then to get involved in a coalition? Uh, should they oh. have should have left the Conservatives to kind of, you know, flounder for a little bit and then had this um, coalition of consensus that they, they were yeah. talking about just well, on maybe particular policy? I 
maybe it would have been better for them to let the Conservatives um, run with a minority yeah. and then push for an election in after 12 months. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, the, one of the solving points for coming to the coalition was the fact that they had the referendum on AV, which they lost. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is yeah. <laughs> such a sore, must be such a sore issue for uh, Nick Clegg, well, really. And, and many others in the party yeah, as well. You know, the, they had but that it, one it was... opportunity that was made, probably one of the signing features of the coalition when they turned around and said, we're going to go into the coalition because they're going to give us a referendum then... on electoral reform, which then they lost and is unlikely to happen again. That's resoundingly. For, yeah. 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 Um, and obviously, because they were coming to the government, they've had a lot of collateral damage in that sense. Yeah. They, you know, There's the David Laws uh, incident, Chris Hune. And we could, we could say at the moment that Vince Cable is not necessarily a, a publicly disliked, but within a certain demographic of the public, namely conservative voters, <laughs> it is, is, is... Red Vince. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, he's, and, and they kind of hark back to his Labour days in that sense. So um, maybe with hindsight, it would have been a, a better for them to kind of, well, at least consider the options a little bit more, maybe bargain yeah. a little bit harder in the coalition agreement. But if and, we move and then, on... And then if we go, we go away from... Uh, Vince Cable's role in the coalition, and and we see as as times of uh, developing, obviously there's people are beginning to question Nick Clegg's role in the coalition and how he feels about it. I mean, the Guardian said Nick Clegg and his cunning plan was the headline. Yeah, about, is that referring to uh, the abstention on yeah. uh, on the Jeremy and, Hunt and his own appearance in the Leveson inquiry? So yeah. it's sort of people are beginning to say is. Nick Clegg trying to bring down because it, the coalition. in terms of their goals, we can't, we can't really turn to something and say apart from perhaps the you know raising the uh, the threshold of the income tax um, up to ten thousand pounds, we can't say that they've really had much success. And maybe uh, they, they might be able to get through um, you know same sex marriage uh, law, which we just talked discussed about a couple of minutes ago, yeah. but they haven't really had many successes. And and okay, so they you know. Clegg ordered an abst- uh, a Lib Dem abstention uh, for the vote of confidence in Jeremy Hunt uh, the other day, but that failed also. So, what is he has he got left? What cards has he got left to play? Not many, really. No, because if because if he pulls out of the coalition or the coalition collapses, then they're going to be seen as sort of the well, they're not going they might not necessarily be seen, but they'll probably be targeted by both Labour and Conservatives as the reason for the collapse of the coalition yeah so conservatives will be saying well it was the fault of liberal democrats pulling out the fact mm-hmm. that we've had to i mean i don't know how it'd work if they push through five-year permanent terms um yeah well effectively by precedent they're going to do that but they can undo that at any time so, so if if the liberals pulled out of the coalition we could could we expect another election yeah, I, th- I think so. If it, if it was if there was a situation where, for instance, the Conservatives were unable to be able to get any through any legislation they wanted yeah. to do, like Lords reform, for instance, uh, well, this not it would not <laughs> they would necessarily want to do that now that the Liberal Democrats had left the coalition yeah. if they did. But um, I suppose to kind of kind of close this topic now before we move on, um, what's the future for Nick Clegg? Uh, Twenty fifteen is three years away ultimately, but do we think he'll last that long? Because the Liberal Democrats haven't been so successful in local elections. Um, we can only imagine that national elections would be a lot worse. Yeah, because I mean, the Liberal the, Democrats are notorious for doing, are, are 
well known for doing um, well in local elections. And uh, and I suppose the the litmus paper will be the European elections in twenty fourteen. I mean, if the Lib- again the Liberal Democrats are renowned for doing better in local elections and European elections than they are in in national in elections. national elections. Yeah. So if they look and they go, well, we lost uh, lost quite a few in the local elections, the European elections, which they probably seen as a pro-European party yeah. if the Eurozone crisis continues there probably will be a move away from Can we? Who, who is, do we think is going to be able to come and step in Clegg's shoes if he's not there for 2015 I can't really name that many people I don't think there are that many high profile I think most of the most of them actually... the, the, the party aren't going to support Vince Cable No um, David, I don't think David, Vince David... Cable would put, was too smart for that in many respects yeah. and he probably I mean you'd, you'd have said in 2010 David Laws but mm. Well, yeah, where, where is he now? Anyway, you're still asking the people of Yeovil to re-elect him in 2015, so... Yeah, but we've got to move on um, to our international focus section this week on uh, the European Football Championship hosts, um, Ukraine and Poland. Well, seeing as you're out there, Bart, yeah. um, can you tell us, you know, what's, uh, what's it been like out there? Have you been assaulted on your way home from the airport? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ten times. No, I'm <laughs> I, have to, I have to cut it, cut it short right away. Yeah. So that nobody just goes and tries to ask whether it actually really happened. Yeah. No, but, everything everything is almost as if it's normal. But the news, the media, it's non-stop something about the Euros. There's always discussion on who's playing next about all the games. And, and I think it's generally it, it woke, awoke this... Um, sense of patriotism in Poles and everybody's got flags in their windows and and uh, all the cars driving by have these little flags sticking out and and I've never seen that before I have to be honest and yeah. and I think it's just this um, this is very I don't know I I thought it was more like a Western thing that's brought. Oh, we appear to have lost Bart on the line there. <laughs> we may pick him up in a minute. As oh, there he is. Uh, okay, let's go. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me now? Sorry. Yeah. Um, I said, I said, I think that it's just something new to me. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah. The, the the amount of of all the national symbols uh, being thrown around. Yeah. Um, um, well, Polish, yeah, like like you were saying, okay, the, the, the football is we're football crazy over here as well. As they've got a game on every or a couple of games on every day as well, and. Um, uh, I think there has there is this kind of sense that we, there's a real spotlight on Poland and Ukraine at the moment yeah. and what's going on domestically. Uh, the media have without a doubt been looking, you know, kind of almost goading fans into kind of hitting each other uh, yeah. in, in some respects. And we, um, you know, what we're looking at really is, is this... Um, is there really that much violence going on over there, or uh, what's the atmosphere like around the football stadiums, around you know, in uh, around the the sporting media in that sense as well? I think generally, your first question, whether there is so much violence and stuff, this is more. I think that was taken way out of proportion, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that because I'm Polish and I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like that, uh, but. No, really. It seems that the media just wanted to talk about something like that. They they were building up to this ceremony and they're saying that oh this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Mm. And um, this case of racism uh, uh, against the Dutch team and so on and so forth. 
these things just these were just single events. I don't think this anything like that happened yeah. again. Is, is it or, just another case of the media kind of singling out a small group of society well, and the rest of them being tied with yeah, the same brush? Stereotyping. Yeah. I think I think apart from the violence around Polish. Uh, Versus Poland versus Russia, I kind of expected that there was going to be some sort of a clash. I didn't think there was going to be a lot of violence. What happened is is obviously not a great um, event, and and it sort of uh, destroys the image. But apart from that, I think it's been quite well organized, and and I'm actually quite happy about the way that the Polish, um, you know, government and and police and everything just. How they approached it and with, with sort of what level of seriousness they looked at it. So, so, so this is in this is in Poland. Um, if we then move on to your well, east, your eastern neighbours in Ukraine, I mean, I've oh, got I've got a, a few articles here. Um, if we if we're stereotyping and saying the British media is stereotyping in the fact that the the people in Ukraine are a bit are a bit fist happy or they're quite mm. violent people. Um, what what the stories of there being um, fights in the legislative parliament of Ukraine as the language policies try to go through. I mean, what does this yeah, tell us about? Uh, what does it? What does it tell us about? That's really bad timing. Yeah, really. What? But it's also related to the fact that there's no good timing for such a thing. No, I mean, no. But and, and there, we know there, there's no good timing for it. But there's bad timing for it. Ukraine, Ukraine has been going through issues. Linguistic issue is a yeah. very significant issue, and in Central and Eastern Europe because of the various various um, nationalities and communities living on the, in the same land. So yeah. there, there's, there are going to be things like that happen. There is no good time for, th- for things like that. And, yeah. and you, Euros can, are definitely... Can we um, just have give listeners a quick breakdown about the Ukrainian language bill and what it means um, for Ukrainians in that respect? It's to do with um, it's uh, to do with Russian being an official language. Yes, uh, which is the south and east of the country, I assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well it, it cannot be just region. I think it can be around regionally, but if they make it an official language, it would have to be a national official language as yeah. well. Do a lot so. of people speak Russian in Ukraine? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, the eastern part of Ukraine is mostly Donetsk. populated by, by Russian speakers. Donetsk could probably. More people yeah, speak Russian. Russian. More more uh, people speak Russian than yeah. Ukrainian. If yeah. we go towards, if we go towards, uh, say westwards from Kiev, um, towards Lviv, Lviv, uh, and the regions uh, closer to uh, Polish border, yeah, then we um, we have to see what sort of pro Timoshenko areas and uh, pro Western areas is, so speaking Ukrainian rather than Russian. Is is there a fear that um, by making Russian an official language, you get almost the split along geographical cultural lines that you have in the Baltics. It is, it is always the, the case of the fear, especially for the West and for some of the Ukrainians who believe that it should not become the next Belarus. So. Yeah. Um, talk, speaking of which, um, uh, Bart, you've just um, you know written an article for the Politics Show, um, kind of covering uh, well Polish relations with the Ukraine and Russian relations uh, with the Ukraine, and how that all kind of ties in with the Euros and um, the 2004 Orange Revolution. Um, what do you think? Something like this language bill, if it gets through, um, will have what sort of impact that will have on Ukraine long term? Honestly, I, I don't think it should have a significant effect as long as it's applied in appropriate uh, in an appropriate manner. It sort of should change slowly 
how nationalism functions. And if there's all a single language, then it presents Ukraine as uh, unwilling to change, to adjust itself to the populations that actually live within Ukraine. Yeah, because so, one of the one of the kind of leaders of the two thousand and four Orange Revolution is currently incarcerated in Ukraine. Um, and I've got an article here um, in from Reuters, which basically says, "Don't forget Tomashenko," um, says uh, German German Foreign Minister. Uh, he urged soccer fans before um, Germany's game last night. Um, is Tomashenko um, kind of lost cause in this? Is uh, I've got stories that are saying that the Ukraine. I don't think Ukraine... that her case has got a lot. I don't. I don't think that her case has got that much to do with the the case of Russian language. No. Uh, I think. Timoshenko, if she was uh, still in power and she was um, thinking more globally about her country and how more in a cosmopolitan manner, she should not dismiss Russians living within her country. She would want them to be part of that society yeah. and be more of a patriotic Ukrainian speaking in Russian rather than Russians living in Ukraine. This is a problematic case in entire Central Europe. So yeah. what you want to do is you want to uh, connect society with speakers of another language rather than just get rid of them. Yeah, because I, I, there's another article here in Bloomberg um, Business Week uh, from Daniela Kluster. And basically, <laughs> so I couldn't get that one out in the end. Um, but basically, um, uh, she highlights uh, here that, you know, it's, it's almost eight years ago since the Orange Revolution. And these this football tournament is really highlighting how much of a failure, like your article does, um, how much of a failure the Orange Revolution has been uh, or how much of a flop it's been. And now we are a long way away from the days where Ukraine was a potential European Union member. Um, and that was kind of Poland's aim almost to be able to kind of bring Ukraine in on this, on this European football championship bid, wasn't it? Yeah, well, um, I discussed it both with the... Uh, one of our guests, um, uh, Dr. Anna Voronieczka, the whole issue of uh, of Poland, Polish-Ukrainian relations, and it seems that we did not follow through the policy. It's almost similar to what the United States of America does in many regions in the world. They believe that they can do so much, and they just leave leave it off. They will be fine on the on their own. But no, we decided to get involved in Orange Revolution and then just, you know, believe that this is just going to all work out somehow. At some point, mm. we're going to see Ukraine and, and great liberal democracy just spring it out, out uh, on its own. But, but no, we have to be involved. If we are meant to play a figure, uh, a partner, uh, uh, almost like a family member to Ukraine, then we have to make sure that we uh, keep an eye on what's going on over there all the time. Not as to judge them or anything, but mm. to help them, to give them advice and to show them how we did this, okay. how we made it to the European Union. Final, At least this is my opinion. Final words. How do you think the host countries are going to fare in the, in the tournament, guys? Uh, are, are Ukraine and Poland going to get out of their groups, do you reckon? Well, I don't think you're in a position to uh, <laughs> comment on political uh, football predictions. Uh, I hope with my heart that Ukraine don't get out of the group because it probably stop England getting out of the group. Um, yeah. But I think Poland will get out of the group. Yeah, they, they, they did not too badly, actually, did yeah, they, against yeah. Russia. They, they probably could have won it. But, um, not too badly. This is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I go think ahead. we should have won against Russia, but 
big thing is we will get out as long as we beat Czech Republic, and this is attainable. So okay, that's well, it. Yeah. Well, that's all, all I have to say. All eyes will be on that match, I'm sure. But we've got to leave it there. If you would like to read anything that we have spoken about today, listen again, or comment on, uh, uh, leave us your feedback, uh, please do get in contact with us. Go to our website at www.thepoliticshow.com. That's Polly with a Y. Or send us an email, uh, thepoliticshow again with a Y, at gmail.com. Um, thank you very much uh, to Ben Nutt in our studio today and to Bartosz Wyszkiewicz on the line from Poland. My name is Michael Turner. Thanks for listening. Thank